Hey, book lovers, we want you to know that Libro FM is the best place to buy your audiobooks because it allows you to buy from your favorite local and independent bookstore. You can choose from more than 150,000 audiobook titles and get recommendations from booksellers around the country, all for the same price as that other company. You know which one I'm talking about. Except with Libro FM, you'll be part of a different story, one that supports community. And as always, listeners of the Bookstore Podcast can get two months for the price of one when they use our new promo promo code bookstorepod, all one word, at checkout at Libro.fm. That's L-I-B-R-O dot F-M. With each listen, take pride in knowing you're supporting local bookstores. Welcome to the bookstore. It's like a book club, but we actually read the book. I'm Becca. And I am Corinne, and it is our last book of 2023. Can you believe it? We made it through another year. (laughs) Thank you to all of our patrons for supporting us this year. Your support makes it possible for us to do this. And we really, really appreciate it. Thank you to all of our listeners. We are two people who like to talk to each other about books. And it is just honestly surprising that other people choose to listen to it. Yeah, it just (laughs) it still amazes me. And then when I see people who also like on I think on Goodreads, there's a couple people who I see who are reading along with us. And I know Uh that's tough because everybody also has their own huge TBR stack. But it just like warms my heart in a way I can't even describe. It is so cool. One of the coolest things I've ever done, honestly. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Um, I don't know that we've got news except to say that we are releasing a short episode about the 2024 Bookstore Challenge. We're not going to do all of the graphics that we have done before. For, but we'll have one for you to follow along with if you choose to participate in the challenge. Otherwise, you can just know that it's how we're choosing what we will be reading for the year. Because we are not good at making decisions. Yes. <laughs> we need <laughs> scaffolding. Um, <laughs> um, is there anything else? Oh, I guess other news is I did just release a, a Patreon episode of I Am Never Going to Read That of, of the Lost or the Left Behind book that Becca read and is explaining to me in detail. Uh, it was kind of a long time coming, but that is available now on the Patreon exclusive feed if you want to check that out at patreon.com slash the bookstore. And as we get into the meat of the episode, our content advisory and spoiler warning, we put all of our content warnings in our show notes. They are very like a general word, like, you know, violence or something like that. And um, so check that before you listen to any episode. And spoilers are sometimes avoidable in our conversations. We will do our best to warn you for any of the big ones. The safest bet is always to read the book first. Yes. So this was my pick, but you wrote the summary. Yeah, I did. did, But I I just figured. Oh, okay. (laughs) I will do that. Um, (laughs) December's prompt was to read a book written by an author who shares the same initial as your last name. (laughs) This is like this is such a convoluted way of saying that. (laughs) Becca's last name begins with a Y, and so this author's last name also begins with a Y. (laughs) And the book that Becca chose was Y slash N by Esther Yee. I think maybe when you say it, it's just YN fiction or Mm -hmm. YN. 
Okay. So, um, and that was published in March 2023 by Astra House. And the, um, this book is kind of a satire, absurdist anyway, but the unnamed narrator is a copywriter living in Berlin when she becomes with a mega famous K-pop star named Moon after attending a concert with her roommate. She devotes most of her waking hours to thinking about Moon um, and takes up writing YN fanfic. In this type of fanfic, YN appears in the place of the main character's name. So it's kind of intended for the reader to insert their own name and identity into the story about this whatever person it is that the the fanfic is about. Um, The novel is surreal and satirical and becomes more absurd as the narrator gives up her life in Berlin to seek out Moon in South Korea after he or his entertainment company, I guess, announces his retirement. I think I want to start this with saying that the book currently has an average reader rating of 3.05 stars on Goodreads, and that's that's really low, like Mm -hmm. legitimately (laughs) very low. I think... I, sh- I should find that list. But anyway, I'm I'm just like, I'm so surprised by that because, and I just, I don't understand it. I think this is a pretty, I mean, first of all, a well-written book. It's very weird. To me, it like reads really similarly to like the popular weird girl fiction that's been mm-hmm. really, really popular th- of the last several years. So I'm just kind of astounded by <laughs> this I mean- rating. <laughs> I honestly am going to need people to like be serious <laughs> because <laughs> some of these low ratings on Goodreads are like, wow, I don't even know what happened. This is a fever dream. And this is very straightforward. There's yeah. no time at all where I don't know the difference between her writing the YN fan fiction and her real life. Her yeah. real life, yeah, she runs into a lot of kooky characters and some sort of kind of unbelievable things happen to her. But you know what's happening at every stage. <laughs> and like, maybe it's because we just read Ice. Yeah. Which at points is just like, I don't know which way I'm facing. I don't know yeah. who is talking. <laughs> I don't know what. I don't know how we got here or yes. what's going on. <laughs> it's know. but it's just but but not just like in a bad writing way. In like a everything is like a crazy visual abstraction way. Yes, yes, <laughs> yeah. and yeah, I liked this book. I liked YN, and so it's it's shocking to me that I mean I don't want to be mean, but no. if you, I think that for people who do read this book and they think it is like the most wildest, confusing book they've ever read. I would say they just probably haven't read a lot of weird abstract fiction because I wanted to go through um, like some of our the worst rated books that we've read. Um, And this is not our ratings. This is this is just the the Goodreads average rating for these books. I will start I'll do the the five lowest, I guess. Okay. Number five was Celestial Bodies. I don't have the author's names and I cannot remember who wrote that. Uh, yeah, I can't remember either, but yes. Yeah. yeah. Celestial Bodies had a 3.42. The Perfect Nanny by Leila Slimani had 3.39. Trust Exercise by Susan Choi had a 3.14. The Collection by Nina Legere. Yeah. Nina something. Liqueur. <laughs> anyway, uh, 3.09. And Model Land had a 2.93. So that puts that puts YN at 
our new number two lowest rated at 3.05. I find that wild. Like, I know. I, the collection is a very weird book. It's about a uh-huh. woman who is, is obsessed with penises, quote unquote, <laughs> penises, <laughs> but not really like physically. But sh- I, I don't know. What was the model land? Okay, model land is like. <laughs> That one is in a separate category all of its own. First of all, I love Model Land. Like, not even joking. Model Land, I feel like, is formative (laughs) to my psyche. Yes. (laughs) I think about it on the regular still. Yeah. (laughs) And I personally loved The Nanny, or what was it called? Yeah, Perfect Nanny. The Perfect Nanny. I like Leila Slamani's writing a lot, but that and her book Adele, which is about a sex, a woman who's a sex addict, get really low ratings. And I think, I think that reading about bad people makes people uncomfortable. Yeah. Especially when it's done from the perspective of the bad person. Because I think people tend to think if it's the narrator, they're the good guy. Right. You know, and I see it a little bit in this book, too, in that the main character is not, I mean, she's not like a bad person, but she is like a projecting a lot on a stranger and doing very weird things and making people very uncomfortable and you're in her head and i think it's hard to maybe hard for people to know that maybe it's just hard for people to enjoy that kind of thing Whereas, I don't know, I like to be uncomfortable (laughs) when I'm reading something. (laughs) I also, well, um, I guess I'll I'll go with what you were kind of saying is that at first I wasn't sure. First of all, I'm not at all like enmeshed in fan or stan culture like of any kind. I've never read fan fiction. Becca has read Bones fan fiction. Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh, And... I so I wasn't sure. I know people are very very protective of their fandoms and standums, etc. And uh, I was a little bit nervous to go into this because I don't want to step on anybody's toes or make anyone mad. <laughs> um, so I really didn't know what to expect from this book. I kind of thought maybe this book would be like really sympathetic towards fans, and I think I think there's a reading where it is kind of right. Um, but because this is, I don't think this is really about being a fan of something so much as it is about being extremely lonely. Um, yeah. And, uh, and so at first I was like, if this is being, you know, if this is like a normalized kind of view of, of what a fan is like, this is make it like it made my skin crawl at times. I was like, is this a thriller at first? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I couldn't really tell what was going on because again, like you said, like the way that she she becomes just like so immediately infatuated and makes her whole life and whole personality about this person just made me extremely uncomfortable just immediately. Yeah. Well, yeah. And I mean, I think there's absolutely ways to be a huge number one fan of something, somebody, Mm -hmm. and still not have it cross the line where you are, you're, projecting things onto somebody who you don't know at all and i think for my opinion is when it gets to that level of this main character she's essentially dehumanizing moon because yeah she believes no matter what moon may say or do is that she actually knows what moon wants 
And that's the same thing as somebody is like, oh, if only they would meet me, then they would fall in love with me. Well, that's right. It's still saying telling somebody else that, you know, how they feel better than they know how they feel. Mm -hmm. And I think that part is what this book is a satire of is when it gets to it gets way beyond normal fandom into that sort of, I mean, the Stan culture, really. Yes. And I think the fact that it's K-pop is just sort of maybe incidental. Like it might be something that the author happens to know a, a lot about. Right. I don't think it's specifically anything to do with with fans of that genre as much as it is specifically about any yeah. really, really obsessive fan. Right. Um, yeah, and I think I mean I I read like a couple of reviews that said maybe that this was something like about some some specific member of like BTS is is who Moon is like modeled on, but I think that's just that's yeah again like incidental. I don't think it's necessarily uh, I don't know like a damnation. I think this is just this is more of like an examination of like the internet and the way that like people kind of tend to feel isolated at the moment, but also just like. In some ways, like some of the writing I thought was really kind of beautiful about the, the, like, the, how desire and yearning, like, even though it's painful, can feel like extremely gratifying in a Mm -hmm. way to want something so bad. And then also that, like, maybe once you get it, or like the fact that, like, you can't ever actually get what you want out of it. I I thought some of the writing was really, really good um, at describing that feeling. There's times where she's talking about basically the, like the need or the feeling to like want to merge with like another person to like, (laughs) to just like absorb that person. And I think Mm -hmm. that's a feeling that, you know, like that's a feeling I've had before and it feels good to like want something that badly, but also like it's so unsatisfying to know that you can't really have it. And then even when you have maybe that person that like, you know, in your life, maybe, maybe you feel that way about your partner or whatever, there's still just like that distance between you. That's like, kind of annoying. <laughs> yeah, so, I don't know. I, I just thought that some of the writing that she did specifically about that was really well done. Yeah, well, there's a part where she meets the music professor who is, I believe, the person who actually like discovered the boys in the band, which is mm-hmm. what they're referred to how they're referred. And the music professor says, I'd kill to feel what you're feeling. That doorway feeling to be on the cusp of experience. I'd kill to know it again. The truth is, I wouldn't be surprised if you eventually found yourself wishing you'd stayed at Polygon Plaza instead. What do you mean? I asked uneasily. She shut her eyes. It's just so much better in our heads she said. And I think that's where it's sort of like, in a way, this book is kind of saying, like, feel things, but don't feel them too, too much. Because like, once you start acting on that feeling, it's never going to actually match what's in your head. No, no, it's it's like completely unable to meet expectations. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, And I think like, yeah, it's it's this is all about the ways in which like fantasy is I think fantasy like is an important part of of life and like romanticizing certain things, but also the way that like 
getting too involved with it and and being too serious about it can be, you know, like maybe extremely disappointing. (laughs) You have to be able to like balance it. Well, and I also think it's like, it's kind of maybe also a critique or maybe not even a critique. Maybe it's just exploring the idea that feels to me, maybe I'm wrong, more common now with social media and that is like the main character syndrome where everybody feels like they're the main character yeah the world and i think that i mean we've all always felt like that to a certain extent but with the ability to show everything you're doing on social media and interact with people and they call you know you call other people who you encounter during your day as npcs non-playable characters it's like maybe a little bit like that because at one point let's see uh the main character is meeting i believe it's her ex-boyfriend or her ex-boyfriend's ex Mm -hmm. and she says despite everything i've been through oh no 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 this is oh i think this sorry this is oh not the ex she says despite everything i've been through i still think my loneliness is part of some character building prologue to the joy of togetherness that inevitably awaits me she said, isn't that funny? <laughs> and I think that that's like sort of a thing that a lot of us feel is like, okay, which part of my story am I going through? Which part of my narrative am I encountering right. now? And life doesn't really work like that. Just because you have a lot of bad things happen to you doesn't mean you just inevitably are going to experience joy later. You know, it is <laughs> right. in a way kind of a religious way of looking at it, too. You suffer now to be rewarded later. Right. I don't, I just thought like a lot of the writing in this book was just like really, really good and also really, really funny. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. Uh, there's this just like a couple of lines that I just think are there's one. The headlights on the opposite side of the road grew in intensity, but just when they seemed impossible to endure with the boiled eggs of my eyes, they abruptly disappeared. <laughs> like, <laughs> And then the lights repeated in this process uh, for total existence and total non-existence. You are so good at moving fast, I shouted. (laughs) It's just like, (laughs) it's so funny because we'll go from like these really interesting descriptions, like calling your eyes uh, boiled eggs, but also like this, this description of the way that the lights are passing while she's on this moped and then, and then screaming, like, you are so good at moving fast. Like the, the juxtaposition of like the way that the, the dialogue works alongside of these descriptions. Like there were times that I was like actually laughing out loud. I think I saw people say that the, the dialogue was bad, but I don't know. I think I think it hit the right balance of like people sound so dumb. <laughs> when we well, <laughs> that and I think also like with the writing. I know I read to that. I we're really going in on people's other people's reviews, but um, <laughs> that people are like, oh, it sounds pretentious. And yeah, I think that's the point. Is uh-huh. that this? girl this young woman is she feels so so much self-importance that of course this is how she's gonna write like i don't know Mm -hmm. i think when i was a teenager and like writing in my journal yeah i would be using so many adjectives because i felt like every nobody else has gone through what i've gone through you know to me it's also just a really interesting way to write about something that i think most people think of as juvenile 
Yeah. You know, like we're talking uh, like how often are like women and girls derided for the things that they enjoy. Right. And like we we can't ever be taken seriously. And so to write about it in this way that sounds like extremely serious and and literary, uh, I think, is just a really interesting way to do it, to 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 approach it. Yeah. Well, I think one of the first things that got me when I was reading it is she's very much like at the beginning she's like I'm not interested in the this the boys in the band and then her friend makes her go to the concert and she has this like spiritual experience spiritual uh-huh. epiphany really and she's like pushing and walking through the crowd when she sees moon on stage and it, it like fundamentally that's the moment where she changed it like changes her perspective on life and everything mm-hmm. and that was a really compelling section to read because again we don't get that like we don't get that moment when somehow something clicks for somebody and this is their new obsessive and uh you know like in ways it's 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 interesting because like it is sexual for her, but it's also like kind of not sexual. It's like maybe more than sexual. <laughs> There's this part in the beginning, and and this is like one that I couldn't decide if it was good or if it was bad. And now I'm looking back on it, and I just think it's so funny. But she's describing the way that Moon looks on stage, and she becomes like very obsessed with his neck. Let me start here. His plainness seemed calculated. It seemed a calculated strategy to foreground the intensity of his gaze, which discorded with the stony coolness of his pallor. The pose held... The pose he held should have been impossible. His trunk was perfectly vertical, but his neck jutted forward at an angle so wide that his head held erect seemed to belong to another torso entirely. It was the neck that disturbed me. Long and smooth, it implied the snug containment of a fundamental muscle that ran down the body all of the way to the groin where, I imagined, it boldly flipped out (laughs) as the penis. (laughs) (laughs) I at first I was like, what is she saying? Is she saying he's just like a long neck that ends at a penis? And a, yeah, kind of. <laughs> There's I also it, I still think um, it's like so funny. She references it a couple times too. The line uh-huh. in his neck, but yeah, and like to the point of like she's the main character and everything is like about her and Moon. She visits this like care facility. And there's the the um, some dementia patients, and mm-hmm. so um, she's with the caregiver of the whole thing. She began to fuss over the man in the wheelchair, fixing his collar and smoothing down his hair. I still couldn't see his face, but a strand of saliva was slowly elongating from his chin. I wondered if this was a message for me, the viscous leakage of his otherwise incommunicable thoughts. I mean, it's just like, of course, you would think somebody like somebody's spittle is somehow a message from the deep for you. Yeah. And this is so she ends up at this this care facility because she is on this quest to find Moon and she she's kind of retracing all these places that he would have gone to and she somehow gets invited to to go to like this big pyramid building where the boys all live and then she is then like launched um, on this journey to the the care facility where where Moon now is in his retirement he's kind of I don't know if he's been banished there or if he's chosen to live there it's it's kind of strange. But um, she goes there looking for him specifically. So she knows that he is at this care facility. And there's this moment where she thinks that that might be him. 
and suddenly absolutely everything that she has felt about Moon just like disappears from her once she thinks that he is maybe this kind of invalid old Mm -hmm. man now. And that to me was just like so telling, right? Like, oh, yeah, there's this idea of just like complete, utter devotion that that completely like overwhelms her. But the second that she finds out that maybe he is now disabled, she's like, "Mm, I guess I don't love him anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that was because she keeps having visions about a special dance move. (laughs) Yeah. Which is so funny. Uh, But yeah. And then she realizes, oh, he's never going to dance again. And it's gone. And it's such a like kind of, I mean, it's such a good example of like why this is not real love, you know, (laughs) to be like, oh, you can't do this uh, special dance move that I thought of in my own head. Right. Then I don't care. And I mean, I'm laughing, but like, obviously, it's like, very sad for her and makes her makes her seem like, like pathetic in a way, I think. Yeah, well, and it's also just like, I mean, to your point, like, where I I shouldn't get away with too much of like, being sympathetic towards her. It's completely dehumanizing. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yep. Which is, I mean, again, like a lot of the times, like what like fandom and standom can do to people. I don't I'm not going to take away from anybody like innocently, you know, (laughs) enjoying their fandoms. But like, there are times where you'll see like, video from um like a a panel discussion at like a thing you know and then and then people basically ask questions of the people like actors maybe in a movie right and they'll ask questions of them as if they are the characters you know in like slash fiction or something like that Mm -hmm. um and it's just it's really humiliating and also dehumanizing because it, it, it fails to see those people as anything other than whatever it is that like you've created in your mind of them. And it, and that to me is like extremely cringy. And that's kind of what that whole kind of scene kind of, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Represented to me. Yeah. Oh yeah. There's a part that is this. That's the thing is this book is full of lines that just crack me up. Like the one you're talking about the line in the neck, but when they're at the care facility, she walks into the kitchen and moon is there messing around with pots and pans and you know cooking or whatever (laughs) and then she goes what are you making i asked he turned around with a ready smile nothing he said i just wanted to know what cooking feels like (laughs) (laughs) it's like that's the kind of thing that's like such a a fan it feels like like a, a I don't know if I want to say fan fiction but it just feels like something s- somebody would assign someone to say in fiction yeah. you know what I mean like to be just so I just don't know anything about I'm so far beyond all of this but also like to me it, it feels maybe a little bit like a critique of of like the k-pop industry as it is because yeah. those people are so manufactured that they're basically like bred and raised to be that where it's like what does happen to these people after they've aged out or whatever it is of this of this industry like are they able to go on and have normal lives yeah <laughs> i didn't even think about that but that's true yeah if he's never actually like cooked Right. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's also a part early on when before she goes to South Korea, she's watching Moon's like um Instagram live or whatever. And yeah. 
he's with another one of his bandmates and the bandmates eats his toenails his cuticles <laughs> his yeah that's i was like i that was, was so repulsed yeah <laughs> where i was like okay this is satire for sure <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> But like I couldn't, I, there was the, there's also the part where in the beginning she goes to, sort of towards the beginning, she goes to that like meetup at a cafe or whatever, and, and they make her dress like, they have her dress like Moon. Um, and so she is playing Moon at this fan meetup, and and the her ex-boyfriend's ex-girlfriend is there, and she um, she basically treats the the narrator as if the narrator is like literally moon and mm-hmm. the whole that whole scene was just like just so uncomfortable to me yeah well and it was weird too because at times she says i look nothing like moon yeah but then people were treating her like moon and it's yeah i mean it's just one of those things where they it was it wishful thinking like this was mm-hmm. enough for them and then also it does show how much she is assuming that she knows moon like she can act like him but would right. is that really how he would act at all right. or is everything that she thinks about him a total fabrication of her imagination yeah. Yes. The answer is yes. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I thought, I don't know. I don't know if I have a whole lot more to say. What do you, <laughs> anything else? Well, so she meets, it, 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 it does like, there was one point where I did think that the fan fiction and the reality converged, mm-hmm. but then it didn't. It is when she is, she meets this, when she moves to South Korea, she meets this woman, Oh, on the street because she's wearing shoes that are from O's factory and O is like, uh-huh. oh my gosh, I've never seen anybody with these shoes. <laughs> and um, <laughs> what ends up happening is O submits to this like lottery to get to go to the Polygon Plaza, which is where the boys are. This is after Moon retires. Right. And so she, so O ends up submitting her own, but then she gives her ID to the narrator the main character to go into Polygon Plaza to possibly like learn more about Moon and maybe try to find where he is. And that's the point that and then when the music professor ends up sending her to the care facility where Moon is at, that's where I was like, this is so unbelievable. I don't know if the the fan fiction is converging with this because the fan fiction is like her and Moon are a couple. And then she has a vision that Moon needs to become a boy band star. Yeah. And then they basically like, and that she needs to be a fan of his, which is also weird because generally it's the opposite that they get together. But in her fan fiction, they're together and then they go apart. Yeah. Then they're separated. Yeah. 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 I thought that was, I thought that was really interesting too. And then like, it also reminded me that that care facility actually reminded me of that big fortress in ice. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Because like, there were no real rules. I think I think maybe if people are responding to a fever dream kind of feeling, that is where it begins is at the f- care facility because it's like, what really is that place? It, there's like a school there where these like strange people just kind of like show up and start reading letters to each other. And like one of the dementia patients is the, is the teacher. And then, you know, like she keeps trying to get to 
these different areas of it to find Moon, but she can't, every time she tries to get to him, she ends up back in the kitchen, which is very much like dreamlike logic. So I, I do understand like that sort of like absurdist, surreal mm-hmm. um, thing maybe being what people are responding to. But to me, it seemed pretty light. But yeah, it, it did seem like potentially delusional, <laughs> like whatever she was going through there. Yeah. Especially like when she does meet him, it's in this room where there are cherry blossoms growing, like cherry trees growing. And there's, it's like in this room full of, of cherry trees filled with cherry blossoms. And it's like, is that really possible? Or is that, you know, is that her kind of romanticizing this moment where she finally sees him? And then, you know, all of the, those parts after it, I, I, I think maybe she's, either hallucinating or or I don't know trying to cope with the fact that like she can't actually make all of her fantasies feel the way she wants them to in real life yeah because she's not gonna be what she needs to be for him either yeah I feel like she is you can't we can't really trust everything that she is seeing like an unreliable narrator Uh but there is a part where she is in the kitchen well this is when moon is pretending to cook and he's basically like i can't do anything like what do you want like what do you want from me i can take a photo with you i can do a selfie like what what do you want and she sort of like lunges at him to like kiss his neck or i don't know Uh (laughs) suck his neck and then he goes oh okay he doesn't say these same words, obviously, but he's like, you want to have sex. Like, that's fine. We right. can do that. And that was another moment where I was like, oh, my God, like, I don't know what it would feel like to have tons of people constantly wanting something from you. But yeah. it really felt so gross and dehumanizing to imagine this person who is like, I got somehow I have to give all of these people something and right. I can one of the things I can do is just have sex with them, even if I don't really want to. Right. At least that'll please them in some way. And in that scene, too, she gives him her fan fiction. And she's like, this will explain it. And this will show him how much I love him. And he will fall in love with me because of it. And then he reads it. And he's just like, absolutely disgusted by it. Because there's passages in it that are absolutely <laughs> vile like really gross and he gets through like the first chapter and he's like huh seems interesting and it just made me think about like what would it be like to be a person who who someone writes fan fiction about i like knowing that that was that was out there about me i don't know how i would feel like would it be flattering or would it be creepy (laughs) you know well, yeah, and I think the volume of it, too, would end up feeling weird, too, because then it's like, who who is thinking what of me if I'm just trying to like, right. be out in the world? And I guess at that point, they can't be out in the world. That's why he has to pretend to cook, because he cannot lead a normal <laughs> life at all. Right. What was I going to say? I don't know. Oh, it just, it's, you brought this up kind of, too, already, but... There is that big trend of like surprising these male celebrities with thirst tweets. Of yeah. Them. And I always found that like, I don't I mean, it's one thing if it's like if it's in an interview, they vetted all the stuff beforehand. So they know what's coming and they can consent to it. 
But right. it is so crazy to me to go up to somebody and be like, here, read these sexually explicit things that some stranger wants to do to you. Right. I I don't know. It's so inappropriate. And that's what it made me think of, too. And then she was like pushing him to finish the book. And I was mm-hmm. like, what is she going to do to him? I know. Because <laughs> how does he get away from her, too? Like, at right. this point, I was scared for his safety. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's just, it just also reminded me, like, I have no desire to meet anybody that I have, like, really you know, uh, profound, like admiration for, um, like, I feel like every time I've been to, uh, like a book signing, and I've had the opportunity to meet a writer, or, you know, the couple of times that we've spoken to writers, like on the podcast, like, I, it it seems really exciting. But then it's also just like, it it feels extremely one sided. And, it, I I think that, you know, all of the people we've spoken to and, and also the people I've met at book signings are all really gracious and stuff. But I always get this feeling once it's happening where it's like, what am I doing here? Yeah. <laughs> what, what is this about? <laughs> I think I, when we've interviewed people, it, it's been a little different because it is more of a conversation. But and in other situations, it's just like, what could I possibly say to this person that would be meaningful to either one of us? <laughs> yeah. No, I know. I've always been like, I never really cared to know about anybody. Like, I, there's bands that I've been fan, a fan of for like 20 plus years, and I don't know a single name of one of the members, which mm-hmm. I don't know, I guess the opposite of that is somebody could say that I'm not treating them well, because I don't even bother finding out their names. But like, I don't know, to me, it's not really about that. It's about their output, not their personal right. lives. But I don't know, you know, again, maybe I'm, you could say the same thing about me. But anyway, <laughs> I, it's it's just one of those things that's like, there's always that question um, that, that comes up like an icebreaker stuff, like if you could have lunch with one person, like who would it be like dead or alive or whatever. And it's like, what would I ever be able to say (laughs) i mean that wouldn't that wouldn't end with me leaving going and thinking about for the rest of my life that i said something stupid (laughs) i mean and it's the same thing too with like i'm very glad and grateful for the opportunities that we've had to interview people but ultimately i would i don't want to hear two random people interview something like i want to hear a professional interviewer who i don't know went to school for reporting and knows how to be a good interviewer talk to somebody i don't necessarily find it that interesting i feel like i'm like saying (laughs) don't ever listen to us we may still do interviews in the future but like i don't know i'm i'm a realist about it like i you know (laughs) it's not really our job (laughs) I think we have to have different expectations of of it. But yeah, I don't know. It's I, I think, you know, when we do have the opportunity to have a conversation, it's a, it's a little bit different. But like, but yeah, I just, I sometimes I just feel like, I don't know, it, it, it's not as, to me, it's like, it's not as like, necessarily like, dream come true to, to get to have had the opportunity to meet somebody that I, I really admire. It's it's to me, that's like, extremely anxiety inducing (laughs) yeah oh no i know with all the like who would you if you could like if you could 
have dinner with somebody who's dead, I'll always pick people who I know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, I'm sorry, I don't want to talk to <laughs> my heroes. <laughs> yeah. Maybe I'll make an exception for Ulysses S. Grant, but yeah, because <laughs> I know he would fall in love with me. <laughs> yes, yeah. Given the opportunity, who would you bore to death again? Yes. <laughs> who would be like you brought me out of this grave, my grave for this? <laughs> for you? <laughs> uh, yeah. So I do want to talk about one thing, and this is going to be about the very, very, very ending. So, so spoilers, spoilers, yeah. spoilers. If you spoilers. don't want to hear that, then that's all this the rest of this episode is going to be. But okay, so the ending is the narrator returns back to O's apartment where O lives with her mother. The mother likes to keep all of the windows open because she likes all of the cicadas screaming because uh, yeah. they have like this like, uh, I don't know, plague of cicadas. And <laughs> the city yeah. is... Yeah, is it warns everybody to close all of your windows because we're going to spray chemicals that will kill off these cicadas. And O's mother does not. And they find, O and the narrator find her passed out or dead on yeah. the couch, covered in chemicals. Uh-huh. And this is so, like, we get a couple pieces about the mother before this. She's She's deaf, though too right yeah that's why she yeah. likes all these noises like the tv she has like a, a amp right next to her face right while she's watching tv and all that and so what it, it just was interesting to me that it ends with her mother O's mother mm-hmm. and i just i don't know do you have any ideas why i don't necessarily except for that like i don't know because she so she I'm wondering if it was like she didn't hear the warnings about closing the windows and that's why it happened because she can't hear. But then it's like, if she can't hear, then what does she want? The screaming of this? How can she, how is she experiencing the screaming of the cicadas or, or does she usually just keep it open? I can't remember what it was is, is like she, she hated the cicada sound when she was able to hear, but then afterwards she missed it. Or something like that. And so maybe she was just hoping to be close to it to eventually experience it again. But yeah, I don't... Again, I don't know. I don't really know. She she potentially died. The only thing I could think of is like, the things you love too much will kill you. (laughs) But I also think that's such a simple explanation. Also, yeah, I mean, and maybe it's not meant to be like some grand metaphor, but like... It, while that was happening, O and um, the narrator were in another room, and O showed the narrator a movie she made about a painting she made about the narrator. And so maybe I don't know. It, it just it just kind of seems like maybe they were just ignoring, you know, the very real plight of somebody else for the this whole kind of quest they had for someone that they didn't even know. Maybe, you know, yeah. with Moon. Oh, no. I, actually, that one I think is, that's good. Because it's like they're so into the fantasy world. The main character is into her own, you know, fan fiction of what her and Moon are going to be. And then O is not even into that, but is into her the fan own fiction. <laughs> yeah, fan the- <laughs> fiction of a fan fiction. Yeah. And in that all, they're ignoring the actual real life that people can die i guess 
But also, I mean, like it kind of just ends with with everything sprayed in this black chemical, and and the the future just seemed so bleak in that ending. I don't because she she's standing there, kind of assuming that she would hear sirens, but there was just there was nothing. There was silence because all of the cicadas had been killed too. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I it know. just uh, it doesn't doesn't seem like the brightest future <laughs> for <Yeah>. our narrator oh <laughs> uh, yeah well okay i that's don't know a, it was interesting <laughs> yeah that's about it i think that i have yeah i liked this book a lot i thought it was really good don't believe all the re- don't believe all the ratings that you see on goodreads yeah i mean although maybe you should because maybe you will actually hate it i don't know <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you can hate Maybe it. Maybe we're the wrong ones. Please don't tell me it's like the weirdest thing you've ever read. <laughs> yeah. No, go read Ice and then come back yes, and talk to yes. us. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening to the bookstore. If you would like to support the podcast beyond listening, you can check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash the bookstore or rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. You can find all of the ways to contact us at thebookstorepodcast.com. Our next book discussion will be Daughters of Eve by Lois Duncan. You can find it at your local bookstore or library and read along with us. Um, Try to find not the new one. There was like a revised edition that came out, I think, around 2011. So if you can find earlier ones, those are the ones that we're going to read. Yes. The Bookstore is a production of Awkwardly Social Media, produced by Becca Young and Corinne Keener. Technical and production support is provided by Josh Bourdon and Zach Titus. And John, if you're out there, thanks for listening. See you next Tuesday. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Oops. I'm knocking over everything in this room.